Coming to you from our rented tool shed outside in the backyard, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 22. In today's show, we talk about interview lighting and how to get the best results. We share more ideas in practical DIY projects and how it makes life easier. Plus, we have our world-famous Put Me in a Coma segment. This time, it's about filters. I'm Rod Louie, along with Keith Moreau. Get ready, because it's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Rod Louie and Keith Moreau back here on Tech Move, and we haven't done this segment in a little while, and I think it's time that we do. Uh, we need to learn a little something, and uh, I think it's time that we get back into the swing of things, and let's have Keith teach me something new. <laughs> Keith, uh, I have been wondering quite a bit lately about lighting for interviews mm-hmm. and i think and and you really are a master of this you you do a lot of interviews you do a lot of uh you know that type of filmmaking and uh you know i know we've touched a lot uh previously like green screen uh how you had to light for that you know how about just uh you know let, let's go over a little bit of this stuff And I I think that would be very helpful to not only me, but also our uh, tens of millions of uh, listeners out there. Okay. Um, Well, thanks, Rod. I I think one of the things that you probably want to at least become familiar with uh, if you're doing any type of, really any type of professional videography or filmmaking or anything, it doesn't have to be just documentaries, it can be anything, is to figure out how how to light an interview. And by an interview, I basically mean it's like a talking head. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, got a bad, <laughs> bad rap. Right. <laughs> like when people talk about, I don't want to see a bunch of just a bunch of talking heads. Right. You know, I want to see some real, real stuff. Well, I guess good or bad, talking heads are kind of a mainstay in all types of videography. You know, it's this typical thing where you see somebody's head maybe from the mid chest up or even closer of somebody just talking. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Explaining exactly. something. Yep, and and uh, it's used in anything from a commercial to a documentary to pretty much anything. And it's just kind of the, how information is conveyed. Um, it's kind of like a like a video version of a presentation. You know, if you, when you go to some event, like a keynote for some company, there's some like the CEO is up on stage and they're talking, and they're they're addressing the audience. Well, it's kind of a video capture version of that in a, in a controlled environment, and usually the person sitting. They're usually sitting and they're usually, they can be looking at the camera, which gives us a certain feeling, or they can be looking a little bit to the side of the camera. Um, and, but in any, any case, there's a certain amount of light that they need <laughs> in order to show up well uh, in the video. And there's, there's the, the very simple, simple, simplest, like the one that everybody teaches if you go to interview lighting 101 is, is there's three different lights that you would use. And the most, the brightest light and the one that's 
kind of illuminating the person the most is called the key light. And that's usually a light that's a little bit to the side and it gives a little bit of definition to the person's features. You know, they, So it's not a straight on thing, but it's off to the side? Yeah, usually it's off to the side. Uh, and the reason for that is a straight on light will, it's not a bad look, but it's not necessarily that um, typical characteristic look that you get. Probably washes out a nose if you do straight on too much. You probably yeah. want it. We probably want a slight shadow to know that hey, your person has a nose. <laughs> it adds character to it. Um, if if the light is too hard, harsh, um, if it's more of a point source rather than a soft source, you can it, uh, any kind of light, whether it's front or slightly to the side, can be kind of bad. It can be it can be unflattering, right, um, and kind of harsh. But um, but uh, a, f- a totally front light is also acceptable, and I'll and I'll uh, tell you about a trick that I've used probably in the last few years. Uh, that is, it's kind of an it augments the key light. Um, so here's what happens sometimes when you have a strong key light. Say you have a key light that's a little bit to the side of a person, not not quite in front of them, but not quite to their not like not facing their ear, but not facing their nose, kind of in between. Okay. And you'll and you'll get some shadows, like their nose will project a shadow, and their other little features on their face will project little little shadows on their face. Sometimes those shadows can be too dark, depending on the rest of the illumination that's going on. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> what you want to do is you want to uh, augment that that shadow. You want to you want to actually make there less less of an apparent shadow by by adding another light called a fill light. Which yeah. will be on the other side of the person. Is that correct? Yes. Usually it's on the other side. Um, the, the drawback of a fill light is it can sometimes actually cause its own shadow in the right. opposite direction. Uh-huh. And so sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. So when I first uh, started doing interviews, I would use a pretty strong key light and then a, a, li- a little bit less intense fill light. Um, sometimes when I was trying to do be- beauty shots where... So here's the thing about beauty shots is you actually want to eliminate, uh, in a way, eliminate almost all the shadows in somebody's face. Mm-hmm. It is that kind of flat model look, uh, but it makes people look really, really like more beautiful than they actually are. Right, because it makes their <laughs> skin tones just a little more washed out and stuff like that. Yeah, mostly what it does is it actually eliminates all the wrinkles or yes. a lot of the wrinkles in their face. So it kind Good. of, it kind of. Re- I need that. That's why I carry around like flood lamps all over me. <laughs> your own. I wear, I wear. I wear them like out, out in public. Yeah, your own shadow fill for. That's correct for pretty much everything. Yeah, that's correct. Good idea. Thank you. <laughs> so, so what I when I was first lighting and and trying to make people uh, look good, I actually almost used an equal amount of of a key light and 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 fill light because I was in, in some cases I was recording uh, women who want to look beautiful. And the way to make them as beautiful as possible, kind of in an artificial way, is to almost eliminate the shadows in them. Right. So, but then you get this kind of weird phenomenon where you get extra shadows in a way from the fill light. So, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to another kind of light, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the fill light later to, to tell you about a trick that I've started implementing in the last few years. Can I throw in a sure. question right here? Because yeah. Because I think before we get too far, I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with, uh, I mean, I'm familiar with the, the key lights, the fills, uh-huh. the background lights and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I've never really known, you mentioned uh, uh, before, I- I'm talking about aiming yeah. the lights now. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, but mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to talk about it up front here. Sure. Sure. Because you had mentioned that your your key light 
might go like let's say at a person's cheek rather than their ear rather than their nose right kind of in between there Uh right in between okay great how high should that key light be in relation to your subject's head are you are you uh, you know is the light down below i would imagine not because then you get like a beautiful illumination of the nostrils (laughs) uh you wouldn't want it up top because then the nose would probably shadow down and all this kind of stuff where where does that key light where's the fill light Mm -hmm. you know where's that positioning best yeah usually i try to put the key light right in line with the most important part of whatever you're filming. So if if you're aiming at the cheek, it's the the fill light should be in line with the cheek. Mm-hmm. Just just Is there a standard rule of thumb where or is it like dependent upon where you're framing the shot? I think sometimes it depends on the person, the per, like the person's face and and what looks good. Mm-hmm. But normally if I want somebody to look good, I'll just put the I'll put the 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 key light right in line with their face, not above their face, not below their face, but right there. And so obviously that means that, you know, uh, you, you have your key light pretty much wide open. It's just this illuminating flood, nothing really spot or anything like that. It's just this general wide open light. Right. It's actually the best thing to do is to have a diffused light source and to have the light source as large as you can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. The larger the possible, the larger that you can make it, the better it looks. Um, so, if, if you're framing from the chest up, then having a you know five foot wide softbox probably isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. But if but having a three foot high softbox might might be a nice, give you really nice lighting. Okay. Yeah. the The trick is to in all kinds of in most lighting, depending on how. You, the effect you want, but I would say in most interview lighting, you're trying to make the person look good. So you want to use lighting that's going to make them look as good as possible, and that means very wide, very large sourced lights, right? Um, as close as possible. Duplicating the sun, kind of thing. Actually, no. Actually, the opposite really? of that. Yeah, really? the sun. The sun is probably the smallest and brightest point source you can you can imagine. Um, so what it's going to do? It's going to cast really, really, really sharp shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, the shadows are parallel, so that that part is good because it's so far away. But uh, no, you want to actually make that light source kind of even from whatever the light source is. For for example, if it's a soft box, it could be a three three foot by two foot soft box. You could that that light is going to be pretty even across the whole soft box from top to bottom, and and therefore it's going to be very even and soft in their face. The result of that is is that the shadows that are actually projected on the opposite side of their face from this large light source are actually going to be quite soft. You won't see that much of a definition of those shadows. Hmm. And that's a good thing. That makes people look better. If you have a really hard point source, then you'll see very, very sharp shadows of whatever, their nose or lips or whatever is going to make a shadow on their on the other side of their face. So as a rule, you want to have that that key light and probably the fill light to be very, very, very large and very diffuse. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, got it. Got so, it. yeah. So then, and, and and you know what? I I, I guess it, are there often times when you're at a shoot, uh, you know, you set up the 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 key, the fill, and then you really start to frame the the shot, and then you decide, you know what? I need to adjust this. Oh yeah, there's always little adjustments depending on the person's face, and 
the the reflectivity of and the shininess of their skin. Mm-hmm. It's actually sometimes when you have a really close light source and it's kind of bright, their skin re- skin will start reflecting, and that's not always the best look. Ah, it, okay. it, you'll see like a like a almost like a bright spot <laughs> on their cheek or, or their right. fore- forehead. Right. It's worse, probably worse on their forehead. Um, yeah, so you want to try to control that. Uh, various different ways to do that. You could put more diffusion in. You can reduce the light a little bit. You can add a little bit more fill. Um, there's, you can have them move around a little bit. Um, one big thing is people with glasses. Reflections in the glasses are, are really a big pain to try to eliminate. Sure. Um, I, would, be, I would imagine almost impossible. Um, not impossible. You can get the right angles and, and make people face a certain way and, get, and, and move the lights around and, and uh, get a good result. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of, sometimes you are compromising the, the lighting to get that reflection to be gone. And sometimes you just leave the reflection in and they, you just do the, do it with it. And it adds a certain character to the interview. Like, you know, that they're being lit, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, one thing that I, that I sometimes do that I don't always do it is a, a backlight. Um, I think in the older days, uh, maybe with traditional, you know, textbook lighting, the backlight was important to give people a kind of a, a little bit of a, a halo. Right. So what the backlight does, is it will highlight the edges of usually their hair or their um, whatever they're wearing. And just that little, little, you know, the, the fuzzy, the bright fuzziness around them mm-hmm. kind of differentiates them from the background and makes them pop a little bit. Right. The problem is, is that it can look kind of like they're on a movie set you know like it really is not real <laughs> oh really like it's a little artificial artificial if they're popping out too much from the background mm-hmm. so it's kind of your taste and what you think the piece is gonna um benefit from is it gonna well, bene- benefit well, from them being more natural or more like a movie star when that happens is it almost like a feel of a depth of field type of feel or or is that what you're trying to achieve here uh actually you know that's a really great point that you bring up ronnie because back in the days when there wasn't that much depth of field when the backgrounds were harder to blur out right. i think the back the backlight was way more important because it differentiated the person from the background uh-huh uh-huh um, because you because you know i oftentimes see interview situations whether it be you know 60 minutes or espn uh, you know, doing these interview segments, and you know they're in a they're in a dark little room, but yet you could kind of tell that there's this depth of field. And how do you achieve that if you don't see nothing in the back? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just this kind of it's this perception that 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 I get. Yeah, it's that perception, and it's probably because they've been kind of outlined with that that yes. backlight or rim light. Right. Yeah. So. So nowadays, in a way, you can you can get them to stand out from the background without adding that backlight to it, and then they can actually be more part of the environment, and 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 yet they are still standing out. Hmm. Whereas if you use that backlight, they will they will definitely stand out. But there's not a lot of natural situations where people are really backlight backlit in that way. You know, they wouldn't be in their office and have this nice light rimming them, you know? <laughs> well, I do because I'm <laughs> such a good boy. I know, you do, as well I as do. having the fill that you carry around. and You pretty much carry around a whole lighting set with you. Got to you know, look your best. <laughs> Everywhere you go, you got to look your best. <laughs> I, I kind of glossed over a little bit of the backlight. So the backlight is, 
a backlight. It's the light that's shining towards the camera. Okay, and that's actually kind of tricky sometimes because how do you get it to shine towards the camera but not show the light in the camera? And how how do you how do you avoid that that rainbowing kind of feel in the lens, right? Yeah. Well, if 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 the light is is uh, is visible in the frame, then you'll just see this light, and it's not a good effect. Right, because it washes it'll wash out the bottom of the probably the bottom of the frame. It'll wash out everything, and it will yeah. look like somebody's got a light behind them, (laughs) 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 which may or may not be the effect you want. Right. So, but to really get the best backlight, it should be right behind them. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Okay. So the easiest way is to put it on a boom and just have it a little bit above the frame and then flag it so that, uh, you know, that the, the, the light can usually a backlight will have barn doors. so You can kind of control it which means you can shield it from spilling too much all over the place. Right. So you, you can, can concentrate it into an area. Yeah, you can concentrate it and, then key, and, and block it from other areas. And then also your lens shade on your cam, camera, probably want to have it have a lens shade, and then you can even augment it with even more flags in front of the camera to eliminate glare. If it's, if it's above but it's still very, very close to being in the frame, you could potentially get glare. So you want to figure out a way to somehow reduce that glare by putting a flag in front of your camera or or somehow flagging the light. Um, so that's kind of the traditional way. That's how I do a lot of, a lot of uh, when I do professional photo shoots, that's what I'll do. I'll put it above them. I'll put it to one side or the other of the key. Kind of depends on what effect I want. Mm-hmm. So you can put it on the same side of the key and it lights up that side. Or you can put it on the opposite side of the key, which sometimes is maybe more effective because it's actually lighting up a side that's a little bit darker. So it's giving a little bit more contrast between them and the background mm-hmm. yeah so and then another thing you, you could put on either side you could also put it below them so it's below the frame aiming up that's another effect sometimes i'll put it right behind them so it's it's hitting them from the back like if you look if you were standing behind them it would just be a full wash behind them but they're blocking the light so you don't see the actual light but you see the effect of the light which is like a rim around them a very very even rim not on one side or the other so occasionally i've done that it works for still subjects, people that don't move around a lot. For people that do move around, sometimes they'll move so much that you'll see the light. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. But that's also an, uh, an effect. But again, backlight, maybe not so important now with the shallow depth of field cameras. Okay, yeah. excellent. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to that hint, and a thing that I'm starting to use a lot more nowadays, um, and that is a ring light. I think... I may have talked to you about that before. Oh, you you certainly have. I think we talked about in one of our previous episodes that you had purchased one. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I find that to be very interesting. It's another piece of hardware right up at the front of your camera. Is that correct? Yep. It's actually a light where the light source encircles the lens. So it's yeah. actually all, it's got a bunch of light sources, but instead of being a little bit to the right of the lens, the left, it's actually completely encircling it. It kind of reminds me of a lady's makeup mirror where, uh, you know, where they often have the, the light around the circumference of a round mirror. And then, uh, uh, and then the mirror part is actually in the center of it. Yeah. The, the, the ring light just uh, pretty much... Uh, encircles it, the mirror. The, right. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. And, and in your instance, it encircles the lens. Yeah. It's actually the same principle. It's an even lighting, but not with a definite point source. It's like an infinite number of point sources that are surrounding the lenses. So what the effect of that is is to cancel out all the shadows. 
Mm. So it, it creates a very, very flat light that really doesn't have a shadow. It doesn't even ha- have a shadow behind the person. Like like if you were to shine this uh, this ring light on somebody, you, you wouldn't see their, the shadow that the ring light was creating because it's right around the lens. The shadow is behind them, but it's being blocked by them. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a little, and it's used a lot in beauty um, beauty photography. Um, it's, I think they call it the be- a beauty dish. Um, mm. But there is uh, a lot of applications in video, and so what I use it for is instead of that fill light, they can create its own shadow. Mm-hmm. I sometimes don't even use a fill light, and I just use I just use the ring light to fill the shadows in. Huh? Yeah. It, it it can't it has to be darker not as bright as the key light but it can still be pretty bright mm-hmm. and it fills all the shadows in but it doesn't create its own shadows and i've started to use that so i just i have a very very simple light lighting setup sometimes sometimes i'll just have a ring light and i'll just have a a key light mm-hmm. and that's it it's super simple but actually looks really really good and it's worked out pretty well huh it's worked out really well and it and it's easy it doesn't yeah. require a lot of extra things. I found when I was using the fill light uh, to the side that I would have to do a lot of adjustments. Um, another thing is it kind of gets in the way. Um, imagine you're trying to film this person and they have these gigantic soft boxes around them. Right. The, the more soft boxes you have around them, the less leeway you have to actually film. You have like a little tube to fill to film in in the mm-hmm. middle. They're just mm-hmm. like stuck in the middle with all these lights around them. Right. These gigantic, you know, three by three boxes. So having just one of those uh, key lights in a softbox and then having the ring light to do the fill is actually uses less space, gives you a little more, uh, quite a few more options of framing. So great. Yeah. That, 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 I, I like the, um, the, the concept of the ring light mm-hmm. and, and the key light. And if that gets you a good thing, uh, then, the, and, and so going back to like that backlight, Mm-hmm. If you're using these two, you're not using a backlight anymore. You you haven't found a need to. Well, I'll whip it out if I think it'll make it look good. You know, there's sometimes in the certain certain environments a, a backlight might be uh, might add to whatever effect I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. It might actually help the image, and if it helps the image, I'll whip it out. You know, I'll, I always carry something like that to, to to help out with that. But a lot of times, I'm finding myself trying to simplify trying to not overdo it with the lighting mm-hmm. and um i mean ideally you want you wouldn't want to use any lighting at all and actually <laughs> in some situations i don't even use a key light like an artificial key light um a lot of times i will actually look at i'll, I'll scatter location sometimes i'll go into somebody's home or it's an office or something and sometimes there'll be a big window like a very very large window right. not not with necessarily with direct sun coming through but but light, you know, there's actually a lot of light coming through that window. It's illuminating the whole room, right, with that with that sunlight. But it's not like the direct sunbeams going through the window. It's just the sky or whatever lighting mm-hmm. is outside. Mm-hmm. I will set them up kind of close to that window, and I have the perfect, very diffused, very large key light. Hmm. And then if it's creating too many shadows, like if the rest of the room isn't bright enough to to fill their face in, then I will actually set up my ring light to fill them in a little bit and then only have one light going and it looks really really good (laughs) oh yeah that's pretty neat i've done a lot of my best shots with that technique Mm. just just one ring light for the fill and a large natural key source Hmm. yeah 
Yeah. So that, that that's pretty well. Yeah, it, you know, and and it leads to well, you know, actually, this kind of diverts a little bit, but um, on some of the things that you saw at NAB, mm-hmm. right? Some of these portable uh, LED lights, right? That 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 you found. Uh, would those things fare well in these uh, in in these types of shoots? I mean, are are they a little bit more adjustable for you? Is that what makes them attractive? Is it the the portability, the lightness of it, that kind of thing? Yeah, actually, I guess you're maybe talking about those flexible yeah. LEDs. Yeah, that's like the, exactly. The, the, yeah, I'm waiting. I don't for remember West. the name. I don't remember the name of it. But yeah, um, Westcott was going to come out with some. I think it's going to come out this month, July. Um, but I'm not sure. And I, I, I put myself on their list, but I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, the thing about the Westcott ones is it's a very large light, light source. So it's kind of like a softbox. I mean, right. it's pretty much like a softbox, but it's just way more convenient than a softbox. Sure. So sure. so for those that don't, maybe haven't used a softbox before, it's basically a a light fixture with some type of light in it. could be mm-hmm. could be an incandescent light. A lot of times now it's fluorescent light, those big... Mm-hmm gigantic compact fluorescent lights um, or it could be even an LED source but then it's got this huge kind of tent around it that has reflective material inside mm-hmm. and then on the front of it it's got this very large silk that covers the whole front of this basically a tent and so setting that up is kind of tedious because this tent is actually made of these these metal rods that right. you have to fit into the fixture and get them to bend right and I've actually had assistants you know help me not too experienced assistant set me help set me up on a shoot and just basically break my lights apart because they didn't know how to you know push these little rods into the right holes and get it set up right it's, it's, it's kind of tricky and can right. be a, a little frustrating so um yeah so doing that instead of instead of doing that you just unfurl this essentially blanket plug right. it in and then it's you've got your huge softbox <laughs> Right, which is great, and 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 and, you, and I believe you can hang it. You can, uh, you don't need necessarily the same types of equipment as you need for the traditional softbox or or anything like that. Correct. Um, um they ha- they do come with some frames that are quick to set up that kind of give a nice sturdy, uh, m- kind of make it into a flat thing, but very very easily, much more much I think much more easily than the uh, softboxes are to set up. Mm-hmm, yeah, and they, and the thing too is they don't they're dimensionally don't take up that much space. So the soft, softbox is kind of like a big, almost like a big half sphere, mm-hmm. and it takes up a lot of space. Yeah, it does. They're huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're they're really really big. Yeah, this uh, the things like the the Westcott flexes are are more like flat panels. It's almost like hanging a, a movie poster instead. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So as a good good point, bringing that up. I can't wait for them to come out. I'm gonna grab those because that's gonna really reduce my traveling load. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, and space too, right? I mean, not only space for what equipment you bring, but also at the set or location wherever you're gonna be at. I, yeah. I think it'll open up a lot of different possibilities for you, which is great. Yeah. I think it's a game game changer. Yeah. So um. There was one more thing because I'm looking at my little list of things to cover in this interview lighting thing, and there's, um, you know, when you're when you're when you're um, trying to expose, you know, how do you expose the the person's face versus whatever else is in the frame? You know, that that's kind of a dilemma. Sometimes you can you can have somebody. I mean, the most 
the easiest thing would be for them to be against a back back a black background. Um, then you don't have to deal with the you don't have to deal with the background at all. But okay. um, but the backgrounds. I mean, if you're doing a natural environment, the background could be important. You might want to leave it in and maybe even highlight it in some way. Right. Um, some I I personally like to shoot against uh, exterior backgrounds, like somebody against a glass window. So I get that that fill effect from the window. So I get some natural lighting there. You know, maybe not maybe not a, a full key, but some some kind of interesting lighting, a little wraparound from the window. But then I also see then I see the the whatever's going on through that window. You know, it could be a nice ocean scene, it could be, you know, a bunch of buildings, uh whatever. And I personally like to film against the backlit background like that that has some kind of scene behind it. How you you know, how does that work with that backlighting though? Well, so here's the thing, it's they can be kind of if you didn't have any lights at all and you're just using this window and and and, and they're against this window, it they would be very underexposed. <laughs> yeah. So you have to flood them with light. So I, I just I just want to recall this so I was shooting at Microsoft a little while back in the in in Seattle and we did a scout of their building and there were like five or six different places we could have filmed. You know, one was kind of like a dungeon, uh, you know, just no no natural light, no windows. Another one was just up, it was like a, almost like a lobby was just all kinds of windows. And you could see the, you could see the Seattle uh, skyline in the background. It was actually really pretty. Right. Um, so we actually did some interviews uh, with like five or six different people at Microsoft. And... Um, and so there, these were Caucasian people, mostly. I think there was an a- Asian guy and a Caucasian guy. And then the last person was African-American. And his skin was actually really dark compared to the other two. Mm-hmm. And yet he had this bright um, background still. <laughs> you know, he had, and so he was really, really, really hard to see with, right. the sa- with the same lighting setup. Yes. So I just instructed everybody to move the lights really really as close as possible to this guy and and then turn up the wattage <laughs> oh so so he was definitely getting the spotlight treatment he was getting as much light as as we could bring on him mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. needed to expose him light enough where we could actually see his features and it looked sure. normal but then right. also this pretty bright background right um if i was and there was other issues like the sun was actually starting to come in through the <laughs> through the window right and was starting to like give him a harsh backlight or right. top top light, so I actually had to set up a scrim, uh, uh, something to block the sun, <laughs> and I had to have somebody move it as the sun was kind of moving over the half hour interview. <laughs> but it worked. You should, it. You should just rescheduled him. That's all you should have done. <laughs> just rescheduled. Hey, you know what? Can we do it at seven o'clock at night? That'd be better. <laughs> yeah, there's these all these things to to deal with, but but actually it came out really really well. And then okay. um, if you're using a good enough camcorder with a good enough codec, you can actually correct some of these things in post. If there's mm-hmm. enough detail in this person, you can bring make him lighter and make the background darker. And, mm-hmm. and it actually worked out really well in the end. But that's another thing. Depending on your subject and, and the color of their skin how, and how dark or light the background is, mm-hmm. you may have to start blasting that light and, and not worrying so much about the little subtleties of the lighting. <laughs> oh, right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. So, but that, that's that's pretty much it. It's That's kind of a little little crash course on on interview lighting. Well, I like it. I, I it's something you know. I learned something there. I'm going to use it myself uh, uh, when I start uh, uh, doing some of these things. And 
I think a, a, a big thing is that uh, it, it sounds as if the, the ring light is a really important thing. So um, it's starting to be like, I, I don't leave home without it. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Now I'm just looking for a flex version of the ring light. Yeah. Because <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hear that, everyone? There, there There's, uh, well, you know what? That's in our next DIY segment. So okay. uh, anyway. Uh, well, I, I actually plan on uh, putting uh, Christmas tree lights around a wreath and then uh, <laughs> attaching that to my camera. So. That'll work. That'll work. All right. Uh, Keith, thank you very much for the interview lighting. Teach me something new segment. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, let us uh, take a quick little break, get a little water, and we will come right back with more tech got another uh, cute little segment here and uh, one as you all know ladies and gentlemen uh, very near and dear to our hearts and that is the DIY segments that we love doing here on tech move but this one we're gonna do this is a little bit different not not the great mr. Lee steady cam <laughs> not the great uh brother-in-law arnell uh jib and slider uh but we're gonna do this one uh, a little bit more uh geared towards practical diy and uh keith has had a, a an awful lot of experience doing this where he just uh kind of doodles around with something just to try and make it a little bit better for him Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, Keith, why don't, why don't you expand a little bit upon that, and let's talk about some of these things. Sure. Um, I, I think this would be very interesting. Okay. Yeah, there's um, what I've found is is a lot of things that you, you buy that are kind of pre-made. There's some parts that are really, really useful, and then it's just lacking in another area. Yeah. And I think the reason that they're this way is that just to make that other area actually work we make the thing really really expensive so but you can buy something that's kind of kind of inexpensive and then buy another in- thing that's inexpensive and and kind of meld it together and actually make something that works really well <laughs> like our optica steady cam that we bought uh, quite a while ago yeah you can use the uh the weights on the optica steady cam for uh fishing weights for your fishing trips i but- use them for snorkeling to weigh <laughs> me down to get to the bottom there you go but, fantastic yeah and i think i might have used one screw or two of that for you know repairing something but like a fence <laughs> <laughs> um no actually so there's something out there that i personally recommend highly that i saw a while ago it's called the steady stick and it actually used to be made by tiffin and i'm not sure if it still is made by tiffin but it's it looks like it's branded under another brand called davis and sanford and it's called the davis and sanford SS3C steady stick compact stabilizer with handle and it's and it's really cheap it's 46 bucks I'm going to pull it up right now yeah oh look at that thing yeah it's actually pretty cool i saw it um some podcaster a long long time ago we're talking 6 years ago mm-hmm. was was using this thing in show and i said you know that actually is pretty cool so what it is it's a it's a belt with a little um holder that this essentially kind of a monopod goes into right 
And then the top of the monopod has a place to mount your camera. Yeah, it looks like it has a quick release pl- uh, plate on it, and it, you know, lack of a better term, it's almost like one of the, like uh, those parade flag bearers, right? Where they where, where they put the flagpole in a cup that they hang around their waist like a holster. You you jam the flagpole into that, yeah, and relieves a little bit of pressure, yeah, and weight, and it's pretty much the same thing, yeah. Pretty much. It's for the people that can't play an instrument. <laughs> okay, you can hold the flag. <laughs> okay, just just don't drop the flag, please. And, and but, when you use this uh, stabilizer thing, you don't want to start twirling the camera with it on. <laughs> no. I, I, I would advise against that. No, no. That's why we didn't go into baton. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, so 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 the the bottom part of this thing... Okay, so I used this thing, and I it was, in my opinion, okay but it wasn't super usable just for a variety of reasons. Uh, mostly because the top part of it was kind of unsteady in a way. So if you look, I, I don't know if you can see it, but it's it's a stick and it goes into, and the, the bottom part mounts pretty well. It's pretty secure. And the bottom part um, is a pole that goes, a little aluminum pole that goes into a little holder. And you can actually kind of fasten it really tight or keep it kind of loose and still stay in. Um, and then you can actually extend that uh, telescoping part up and down maybe about a foot if you want so uh, can, it, it just to fit your own personal yeah size yeah at its lowest type. setting right at its lowest setting it's it's maybe too low but then you can raise it a little bit and it's got a little spring inside of it too so there's a little bit of stabilization going on if you unscrew, unscrew the the tightener okay. but at the very top there's a quick release thing that so you push down on it and it, and it pops out it's a little bit kind of reminds me of those quick release uh, hoses uh, you know your your lawn, your your regular watering hose, garter garden hoses. Yeah, have you ever had those quick release things where you can actually ch- re- change the, you know, change the different kinds of heads on it? Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It actually is almost exactly like that, like a smaller version, and that's how they decided to make it so you could take it and put it onto something else. But you would never take this thing off with the quick release because it has this little kind of a spigot thing going in it, and you don't you can't use it on anything. So I just found it the top part to be kind of unusable. So I said, well, wait a second. What if I put one of these Manfrotto RC2 ball heads on it? So I'm going to look that up. And it's a really nice ball head. It's the Manfrotto 494 RC2. And I don't okay. know if you can bring that up or not. But uh, Come on, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of standardized. I've probably got about 10 of these ball heads. Oh, okay. So, so the top of it has a standard RC2 plate. So if you put that on your camera, then you can just snap that into the top, and it's like a quick release. Right. Um, the bottom of it has a, a tightener. The long, largest knob that's kind of uh, sticking out has yep. has a, kind of oval shaped. Yeah, yeah, oval shaped, teardrop shaped. That's that's actually a, a, a positive tightener. So when you when you tighten that, the thing the head doesn't move. But you've got this little knob on the edge that's just a friction knob. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of you can kind of make it if you unscrew it it's totally loose when the big knob is untightened mm-hmm. but you can if you tighten the friction knob it starts getting tighter and tighter to move the head so you can actually have it tight enough to kind of hold your camera in place mm-hmm. but if you want to move it you can force it and then it moves oh that sounds like a great head yeah it's really cool cuz you can do stuff with one hand so you have it so i use this a lot on small tripods cuz i do a lot of multicam stuff so i'd have a camera on this head and then just have the friction set so that i could just kind of slightly move the camera without having to tighten it mm. and it would just stay. So that's a pretty cool head and highly recommend neat. it. Yeah. 
So I took, <laughs> I took this head and I put in a uh, 3-8 screw because it takes a 3-8 type screw, very typical for camera stuff. Right. So that it was, but but uh, just the screw part, not not a screw without a head. You've probably seen those. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and it has a little hex uh, wrench in the middle. Sure. Hex hole in the middle, and sure. I screwed that in, and then I got a three eighths bolt, and I popped off the head of that Davis and Stanford steady stick. I just took, I just basically drilled out where it was fastened, that kind of uh, quick release part. Right. So it just had a hole, and luckily the hole was just right for sticking in a three eighths inch hex hex nut. Mm. So then you could put this Manfrotto head onto this uh, steady stick. Right. So I kind of hammered in the hex nut and I put some epoxy and stuff to make make sure it stayed in. And then I screwed in this uh, Manfrotto um, part onto the top. And this is my go-to stabilizer. My really? Go- yes. You love it now? Oh, it's great. I've got a few of them, actually. So, so and, and what I've- was originally something that you weren't... Uh, you thought was good, but... You know, didn't didn't really use it a lot. Now you use it all the time. I use it all the time. It's my go-to thing. I have it in my bag whenever I want to do any kind of mobile stuff or handheld stuff. It's actually pretty cool because it you, you don't have all the weights on your on your waist and your hips, um, really on your hips. And then it's got this friction RC2 plate on top, so I can just snap it in when I want to. And when I'm not using the the uh, steady stick, I just can snap my camera onto some other. Uh, support device and and it has this friction thing so I can k- keep it unlocked when I want to be moving the camera around because a lot of times you'll want to get low or high or get different angles and you want to move the camera in relation to the steady stick mm-hmm. and you can do that and yet it stay, it's stable enough to stay in, stay in its spot so and then I can walk uh, walk around with it and it has a little bit of a spring inside the steady stick so it's a little bit of a steady cam too so, very nice yeah so. I, I like it. I like the 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 thought of this thing. Uh huh. Yeah. They they if they the thing is that when you combine these two things, like it's like 150 bucks, which is or maybe less because it's like 75 plus 50, so it's like 125 dollars to make this thing. That's in my opinion worth hundreds more if you actually had to buy it. Right. So I. Am, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I like I, that very much. Yeah, I've actually showed this to people and actually made a couple for various people. Oh, just because they saw cool. it and went, "Wow, can you help me make one of those?" Right, <laughs> it's pretty easy. <laughs> That's great. Thanks. That's very, very good. Thanks. Very, very good. Thanks. Oh, I like that. Cool, cool beans. Well, uh, all right. Well, you know what? I think. Uh, any anything else that you want to throw in there as yeah. far as uh, your 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 DIY stuff? I'll throw in one more thing. Okay. Um, so. Did you think of anything in the meantime? No, of course not. Okay. I've thought of nothing. <laughs> okay. No. Chewing gum? No, I I, I mean the, uh, no, I've, Self, I've thought of... Selfie stick? Uh, y- y- you know what? I mean, for those of us in the ultimate of laziness, <laughs> when something doesn't work for you, you just learn to live with it. <laughs> and you work around that that uh, that issue or and or problem. So uh, that's what I've l- learned and love to do. Okay. So, uh, if it doesn't work, eh, just yeah. work around it. Yeah. You know, okay. that's how, that's, that's, that's my motto. Live with it. Yep. <laughs> Learn from that, kids. Well, I, I guess for me, I think certain things annoy me to the point where I'll spend some time to make it better. 
And, so. and I think that that's good because, <laughs> like, it, it, well, it, especially if you spent like a couple of bucks on the original thing, mm-hmm. you know. And and I keep I I hate to throw them under the bus, but that Optica Steadicam, great on paper, not so great in actual usage. Right. And and I actually did try to do a little DIY on that thing by trying to make that gimbal handle a little bit more versatile. Mm-hmm. It it just really didn't work yeah. that well. Yeah. Uh there you know, there's only so much you can do to a certain item, right? You yeah. can't can't do a whole lot of things to 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 some of these uh pieces of gear. Yeah, that's true unless you want to, you know, have a machine shop or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's just too much. Yeah. So I have enough tools and you know, very light metal working tools where I can kind of do some stuff and then some stuff is just too much. Right. Um but here's something that I did that I didn't even require any tools. Um so I I think you I think I mentioned that I got this Nebula 4000 light gimbal. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually I, I'm very very impressed with it. It's actually really good for its for its price and size and everything. Really? Yeah, it's it's just basically a hand, like a pistol grip and then above mm-hmm. it is the gimbal. Yeah. So it's always it's always in the inverted mode, you know, the traditional gimbals are are like hanging below the camera's hanging below well this is but the, some gim- gimbals you can reverse and then have the gimbal below and the and the camera above right so that's kind of how this is it's like an inverted gimbal right um but it was just with a handle not with not with two big handles one just handle underneath i like it a lot it's supposedly at 8-bit versus 32-bit um technology in in the electronics mm-hmm. i personally haven't noticed it make that big of a difference between my 32 and 8-bit gimbals oh really yeah okay. I, I mean i haven't i have a 32-bit gimbal and i think this is just as steady as far as i can see huh. but anyway um so you can put small cameras on it small dslrs are, are mirrorless like um i have i can put my a7s on it mm-hmm. and i can put my uh gh4 on it and uh so i, I could put my camera on this thing too uh also yeah you could put yours on it yeah we should mm-hmm. try it out sometime but uh mm-hmm. By the way, how's your camera doing? That GH1 is it still working? Reliably? Oh, it still works great. Yeah, it's still it's fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, it's you know, of course, still the GH13 mm-hmm. uh, works great. Uh, haven't had any any problems with it. Still working. Still working fine. If you're in the market for a a new kind of replacement for it, yes, you, you might consider the G7, the Panasonic G7. Um, I think you can get it with a kit lens for eight hundred bucks. Oh, really? Yeah, and it does four K, and it's supposedly really, really nice. And, and I think it's a little bit even more compact than my GH one. Oh yeah, yeah. I think is it that is. right? Yeah, is I that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you might might look into it. I, I was look into that. I recommended it to somebody today for for their project because they wanted to get a camcorder. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, but why don't you get this? Because then it'll be a nice still camera and a really excellent four K camcorder. Right, you know, it's like yeah. getting a camcorder is kind of a like what's the what's the reason it, for getting it? Well, that that's why I got the GH one. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was oh, a, oh, so many years ago. Yeah, because uh, you know when that thing came out, it was really really great. Yeah, so. yeah, it was it was, and they just kept building on it. But sure. anyway, getting back to the Nebula four thousand light. So yeah, um, yeah. So I actually used it quite often um, with the GH four. I think I prefer to use the GH four because it's got the built in four K. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, but I, but I actually had it running out to a, running out to a monitor, um, except I had to operate it and look at the monitor at the same time. 
So I, I got this, and actually this is kind of a DIY thing too. There's two DIYs. I even didn't even plan on it, but mm-hmm. I got this thing, and I'm going to look it up because I, I just bought it. So I just found it on Amazon where I ordered it from. It's called the Cotton Carrier Camera Vest for one camera. Cotton Carrier. Huh. Okay, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So you see it, it's basically a vest, and then there's a quick release for a camera that goes into it. Oh, I saw this on the... Uh, I, th- I think it was in... Um a photography um, magazine. Yeah, it's meant for. Oh, so what? You 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 bought you bought the vest. Yeah, I bought the vest. Which I, which one was that? The what? One camera vest or two camera vest or the? It was the camera vest for one camera. One camera vest. Let me yeah. pull that up there. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know they had a two camera vest. There there is a there is a two camera vest and there's a steady shot vest. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna have to look into that more. But the one that I got. Uh, and it's kind of weird because I didn't get it for the reason that they sell that they're it. selling it for. Yeah. So normally they just sell it so you can put a pretty big DSLR with a large mm-hmm. lens onto your chest and just hold it that way. Right. And then when you're ready, you can just take it out of this quick release and then shoot with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what I did <laughs> is I, I knew that I was going to do this kind of uh, gimbal shooting, mm-hmm. but also need to look at my monitor, but the gimbals that I was going to use would not, not hold, um, in the way that I wanted for this is really meant for the Nebula Four Thousand, which has no right. way really of mounting a monitor on. You kind of could if you, if you really wanted to, but I wanted to have uh, independent mounting, so I decided to put my Odyssey Seven Q onto and put a quick, the quick release on it and put it into this carrier. Mm-hmm. So I basically have this monitor right on my chest facing me. Oh yeah, and it's also so, so. So in other words, was it facing up? Because where 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 the camera vest is, it seems to you, you put the camera lens down. Yeah, facing the floor. Right, and and I I guess what this thing is for is just like a quick release to pull it up if you want to take a shot. Right, it's it's really not for using, you know. As you're doing something, you're not really using it. It's just there as a holster. It's, it's just a holster for a camera up front. Right, pretty much. Um, but if you think about it, the way the way the quick release is mounted, if you have a monitor, which has a bottom right. mounting point, it'll be facing you. Right, it'll be facing you. So yeah. you're almost using it like a drool tray. Pretty much like a drool tray. Right, but 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 that's pretty neat. But <laughs> wouldn't that crink, uh, uh, kind of crinkle the neck after a little bit if you're looking at it for too long? Uh, not so much because with the quick release and actually I put a I put a uh, a ball head on it as well, so that I could kind of angle it. It's mm-hmm. it sticks out pretty far, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's not too bad, not too bad. And oh, um, that's good. Yeah, and so actually, heck, if you put it on a uh, movable stick, hey, you could adjust it right <laughs> up to eyesight. I could, you know? I could, yeah. and I probably will do that at some point. Uh, it depends on how how dorky I want to look. But, uh, <laughs> well, you got that vest on. I, I can't, can't, can't achieve much less. So, so I'll just tell you the situation. I was using this, and I used this with another with with the Nebula four thousand, and, and I'll describe what I did to the Nebula four thousand as well. So, the Nebula four thousand has hex uh, set screws for all the different adjustments. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when you first get a gimbal, you have to get it get the camera to be perfectly balanced on the camera. Correct. So, and that's just because the little motors are not that strong. They can't force something that's not balanced to be balanced very easily. Right. So you want to just have it, have the least amount of resistance going. So um, so what I did, and it was really annoying to have to 
because basically every time you put the camera on, you have to adjust it. You can't just have it set and then ready to go. It just right. for some reason doesn't work that way. There's always little variables. So it was a pain to use this hex wrench to do it. And there's four screws on each on each axis to do this. Right. So the bottom one, you kind of have to always use um, this uh, quarter inch thing at the bottom of the. It's basically like you know how your your quick release mounting plates are. Is that type right. of screw, and you mm -hmm. have to set set certain the the forward direction, forward balance that way, uh, the tilt essentially. But um, but the side tilt and then the back uh, yaw, those actually had to be set set with a wrench. And so it was just really time consuming. So I looked into it and I was able to get some thumb screws that actually matched the same screw size. So in this case, it was a, called an M3 screw, screw. It's just a small metric screw and the size is called M3. And so I ordered some actually off Amazon and I just replaced one of them on, on there's four on each axis. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if maybe you can bring up a picture of the nebula so I can kind of makes more sense to you you know what it looks like it looks like a um uh looks like the before you load the shipping tape um uh, <laughs> uh the, the the gun the the shipping tape and, gun. a shipping tape gun with no tape right with no tape on it or it looks like you are really serious uh with your stock clerk job and about to price the smallest items ever <laughs> with the little stickers. Isn't that what it looks like? It, lo yeah, it looks like that I, right there. Yeah, I think uh film power has its origins in uh pricing sticker guns. <laughs> but uh little known fact. <laughs> but uh yeah, so this com this company filmpower.com they make this. It's a Chinese company, but they make a good thing. It's a really cool thing. It's it's one of the it's it's still groundbreaking even with all these other people out out there yeah. that are making them yeah and i'm really glad i got got mine when i did um but anyway if you can see if you look at the picture of the thing without the camera on it mm -hmm. you can see that each of the axes see those four little screws that are on the on the uh the tilt axis Motor tilt axis. Yeah, Let's I don't know if you're see. looking at the film power site or not, or some other. No, I'm site. actually looking at B and H. Yeah, look at the very first picture where there's nothing on it. So you see that, right? Correct. Yeah, I'm there. The first picture with no camera on it. Correct. Yeah. If you look at the top right part of that picture, there's four screws. Oh, you mean right where that little twisty knob could be? Is uh, a twisty knob. Right it's kind of there? on that same piece of metal, but it's right. actually going up. So oh, makes, okay. Yeah. Right. There's okay. four little. Yep. Those are actually hex screws. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Allen, Allen cap screws. So what I did was I replaced one of those with the thumb screw. So mm -hmm. I could actually tighten it with my fingers. Mm -hmm. And I slightly loosened the other ones. And I did that on that axis, and I did it on the back axis as well. Mm. So now I can, in the field, adjust this with just my fingers. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, another thing that was lame about this... Not, not the, I said a lot of good things about this um, nebula. One thing that was lame... Not many, but go on. <laughs> One thing that's lame about it... Well, not yeah. only... The thumbscrew <laughs> thing is pretty lame, because they could have done that, right? Right. It's probably the same price. Right. But um, I don't know if you can see one of the angles where maybe the camera's mounted to it. Okay. Yep. If you look at the left side of where the camera would be, that, that's where all the cables for example the hdmi cable sticks out right correct and it's just open there right for example in the gh4 the hdmi cable is kind of on the bottom 
Correct. So if you look at the sled part where the it's kind of an L bracket. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all metal. There's no way yeah. to plug in an HDMI cable. True. When you have it balanced properly, you can't right. plug it in. It's interfered. So, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to do if you want to record 4K or just monitor this thing? Right. Well, I went to my trusty grinding wheel, <laughs> and I ground out some of the metal. Oh, nice. And therefore compromising the strength of the thing completely, correct? I, I may have voided my warranty. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it works fine. I, I knew that it wouldn't mess it up because it's just a piece of metal. Right. It's it's actually very, very strong, even with this part ground away. You know, so many cameras have their controls on that side of, of the body. How I mean, didn't Nebula think of, uh, you know, how are you supposed to avoid that kind of thing? Because I'm sure you're not the first one to have that problem. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Nebula thought of it or they just wanted to get something out of it, thought it would be more stable or what they I mean, were thinking. Y- y- you would think you could at least switch the sides of the uh, 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 of where this bracket is, this L bracket, like onto the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, give you give yourself an option. I mean, at what seven hundred and seventy dollars, I would think I could make mine left or right. You know, <laughs> my option was to take the angle grinder out. Yeah, and yeah. just grind it away. And sure. It worked, now it works fine. So this is kind of a kind of a you know modification DIY. Not too much work. But I took this, I got the HDMI out, I put it into my Odyssey 7Q with my cotton carrier vest with its weird monitoring thing on my chest. (laughs) And I was able to film somebody on a busy street facing my nebula backwards. I was walking forwards with this cable, a very lightweight HDMI cable coming out of the camera. And I had my modified steady stick on my waist, but, but the camera was facing backwards. I was able to see where I was going, look at the oh. monitor to make it was framed, and actually get this guy with a really nice steady cam shot with the gimbal. Well, while walking while, ahead of him. Yes, while walking ahead of him and going pretty fast. Really? And yeah. how did it turn out? It turned out awesome. Really? <laughs> yeah. It did. Uh. It did. It was just kind of this thing that I thought of, and I said, you know, I, I'm not going to go backwards, because I think I tried it once doing it backwards, and it was like... And you almost killed yourself, I, right? I would have had to have somebody just totally spotting me. It sure. Be dangerous. Of course. Yeah, so I said, well, why not just face it backwards? Because I can walk just as steadily, and I'm going to be able to look at the gimbal and ref- and frame it, and he's, he's going to have a little bit of vari- variability, and he'll know where to walk. So, yeah, so I just did that, and it actually worked really well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and ah. I got it, got it in 4K, and I got to monitor it. And, and yeah. it worked beautifully. Yeah. So that's guess, fantastic. Yeah, so that's an example of, of three DIY things on one on one project. <laughs> well, look at that, ladies and gentlemen. You, see, it just goes to prove all you manufacturers out there, you don't make uh, everything exactly the way we want it. So right. we have to do a little bit of... Hacking, a little bit of coaxing, a little bit of uh, sawing and stuff like that. (laughs) Sawing. Right, sawing. Uh, Congratulations, Keith. Good. I'm glad you voided the warranties on everything. (laughs) Thanks, Rod. And uh, and I want you to know that your extended warranties are no longer valid as well. (laughs) Darn, darn. Doggone it. Well, you know, hey, that's why I stick to the Mr. Lee Steadicam (laughs) using 50-pound weights and metal piping. There's no way that's going to break. No way that's going to break. And when I walk backwards, um, it usually paves the way for me because everyone's too afraid to be 50 feet near me anyway. So, uh, fantastic. Okay, great. That is uh, is the practical 
DIY segment that we have. Well, we, we've got a lot more of this. You know why? Because Keith can't just leave anything alone. <laughs> so we've got, we got plenty more of that stuff in the future. So you just hang on. You know, wait, wait till he tells you how a, uh, a standard spoon and fork don't work for him anymore. <laughs> wait till you see what he does with that. Uh, okay, I'm exhausted. Uh, so let's take a break. Um, and uh, I'm going to go put a band-aid on all my uh, DIY projects <laughs> and we will come back with more right here on Tech Move. are now going to move into a very, very popular section of our podcast that everyone just writes in and raves about, although I frankly don't know why, and that is because this is the Keith puts me in a coma segment right? where we talk about something that is just so mind-boggling slash mind-numbing that it's impossible to have an outcome other than than being in, put into a coma. And Keith, today, I actually, I want to let you off the hook a little bit here because I actually want to ask you something uh, that I'm actually interested in. And um, that is about filters. Okay. And I'll, t- and, and I'll tell you the reason why. Uh, Keith and I uh, went out and uh, we, we were at an engagement uh, together and it was a uh, we we had this uh, this uh, uh, outing that we were both invited to, and it was uh, it was outdoors, bright sunny day, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Keith had had brought along uh, his equipment; I had brought along mine. And uh, you know, I was out there, and uh, I was getting a lot of reflection off of. Uh, some, I guess it was a stone marble or whatever it is, um, you know, glare off, you know, off, uh, maybe some water type of thing, uh, you know, uh, bodies of water. Uh, now I have an ND filter on my, uh, on my camera right now. Uh, but Keith was kind of telling me a little bit about maybe, uh, polarizing filters, and uh, what I'd like Keith to do is kind of share with me, you know, all these different types of filters and, and what they can do for me. Okay. That's good. I, I actually forgot what this uh, topic was going to be about, so thanks for reminding me. <laughs> you're, oh, you're, you're, very <laughs> you're very, very welcoming. And as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, we are prepared like you would not believe. So this is really going off the top of the dome right now where Keith is going to really set us ablaze with his knowledge right here. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's, you know, I've been shopping for, uh, for some of these filters after, after you and I had last talked. And, um, and I noticed that there are a lot of, you know, kind of like combo kits out there for, for different things. You know, you, you have, you know, UV filters, you have uh, polarizing filters. Of course, you have the ND filters. I like the ND. The ND is really neat because uh, here, here's here's what I know about the ND. The ND will allow me 
in super bright daylight to lower down my f-stop so that I can get that really nice depth of feel look in complete daylight. Because when when you set things automatically, it usually turns that f-stop really, really high, right? Like the 9, 11, 12, 13, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah, just yeah. less light. But then you, yeah. but then your depth of field is just infinite when you start doing that. Correct. So, so w- when I have the ND filter, I can kind of adjust that and and really get some nice, uh, uh, you know, kind of cool compositions when I, uh, you know, when I have the ND filter on. But it sounds as if I might need more than an ND filter. Right. Right. Um. Well, polarizers are kind of an interesting. Um, type of filter and they're used a lot at they use a lot especially in well all kinds of photography and and some videography uh but basically the principle is it's almost like imagine uh venetian blinds uh you know how when you're when you have your venetian blinds on your window and you um can kind of uh shut them <laughs> <laughs> Or you can open. Yes, I'm, I'm familiar, familiar with, with them. Yeah. Or you can. Or you can. <laughs> I, I actually never knew that you could shut those Venetian. No wonder it's so darn bright and my carpets have faded. But that's I've, I've learned something new. Fantastic. Uh, or sometimes you can actually tilt tilt the uh, angle of the blinds up or down to right. allow a lo- more or less light in. Correct. Well, that's not at all what a polarizer is. No, it's actually. <laughs> It's a little, a little bit similar. Imagine that these Venetian blinds were just really, really wide. Uh, instead of one inch, they were like a mile or something. Well, th- at that point, only a s- very s- small amount of light could go through, and only coming from a certain angle. So, uh, so light that's reflections, for example, reflections off the water, uh, is coming at a specific angle. It's coming from the sun and then bouncing off the water and then hitting your hitting your lens. So. You can still get the illumination from something, but you don't necessarily have to get the full full on ray that's that's bouncing off the reflective surface into your lens. So that's pretty much what a polarizer can help you with. It, it's a kind of a Venetian blind that uh, will block uh, will block all types of um, reflections that are coming at particular from a particular angle from a reflective surface to your lens. So it's actually kind of miraculous that uh, how they work. You can actually have a surface where you can't see anything because of the reflections from the light source, and then you put a polarizer on, and, and you can, it actually blocks a lot of those reflections. For example, the surface of water. Sometimes you can see water, and it just looks like this white. It's actually reflecting the sky or, or, or some type of bright surface above it. So uh, you can look at it, and it just looks like a white surface no detail, nothing underneath the water. You can't really see anything other than the reflection. But if you put a polarizer on, it actually blocks that light that's reflecting into your lens, and you can actually see the light that's uh, not being reflected right into your lens. Now, you know, uh, I'm looking at some of these filter sets that, uh, you know, I was kind of looking at. uh, They're like three-piece filter sets. They have, you know, UV, the polarizer, and like fluorescent for the UV and the fluorescence, would they act the same way as the polarizer, or or do they do different things? Oh, they're actually completely different. the The UV and fluorescent and any kind of other color, basically a color correction filter, 
are just uh, filtering out certain um, colors of light and letting through other colors of light. But um, actually, the polarizer will only let in light that is um, directly uh, reflected from a source into your into your lens, and will will tend to block out the other light that's not that's more random that's creating a lot of the extra reflection. So um, yeah, it's different. It's kind of like that the polarizer actually is really really uh, rejecting light that's kind of random and only letting in a certain amount of light. And therefore, it allows you to see certain things better uh, because it's cutting out a lot of glare. Uh, it's kind of similar to like sunglasses. When you're wearing polarized sunglasses, you'll notice mm -hmm. that the, there's a lot less glare. You know, like car windows aren't quite as reflective. And, and But doesn't that also change the color of the image then? It actually can. It can actually, um, it can actually make skies a little bit deeper because certain random uh, light patterns are not reaching the lens it actually is only getting a more pure uh pure form of the light and also just a, it's a little a little bit less light is getting to the lens so think they appear to be darker so um yeah it can change the color mostly by deepening it making it a little bit more deeper like in the case of a sky it'll make the blue a little bit deeper uh, well, that could look kind of nice though i'm sure a lot of people like like using polarizing lenses especially on landscapes and it kind of makes sense because if you think about it, a landscape is like you're looking at this really broad view and there's a lot of different light sources, potentially kind of randomized light sources. And some of those light sources can wash out an image and produce less contrast. So having the polarizer on limits those random light sources and a lot of the glare that can make an image somewhat washed out. So it's actually kind of, it's actually pretty amazing. And, um, Okay, so I'm just going to uh, pause for a second because I want to uh, look at the different. I want to read about the difference between a circular polarizer and a... You've, you've probably heard of circular polarizers versus linear polarizers. No, I have not. Oh, okay. You can explain those. Okay, so a linear polarizer is basically um, one piece of glass that has a polarizer on it. And a circular polarizer actually is consisting of two pieces of glass what what really is happening with a circular polarizer is the the first plate of glass on the lens is a linear polarizer which is really just the same as what we've been talking about the second element is a quarter wave plate and uh <laughs> you, you are getting me into that into that special zone right now <laughs> this could be a lifesaver rodney if you had if you had rabies, you know, might need to be put into a coma. If I sustained a terrible brain injury, then you're right. Then I should just listen to this segment over and over again. Anyway, um, circular polarizers are probably imperative um, if you're if you're using a modern uh, autofocus SLR. If you're doing photography. Um, you probably have to use a circular polarizer. And most of the polarizers out, out there are. It's a little bit of a newer style. Because if you don't use a circular polarizer, then your autofocus won't work. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But basically, a lot of the autofocus relies on a certain type of light. And the linear polarizers won't get you there. Let, let me ask this question of you. Yeah. Uh, let me cut to the chase because I am about to just just jump out the window right now. <laughs> but, okay, in your 
it, when you go out on the field, yes, what kind of filters are you taking out there with you? What what is it that you find yourself using out in the field for videography? Okay, so for videography, uh, it depends on the situation. But if you think you're going to be, especially on the water, then I would take, I would take a polarizer filter. And the way that most of these polarizers work is that they actually have a, a, a way of turning them. So you put, the, you put the filter on, and then there's a ring that you can, it actually can move the lens, uh, the glass element around. And depending on the orientation, the rotation, it actually can, can change how, how it works. And so you can actually see reflections off the water. And then when you turn the polarizer, the reflection can kind of go away. But everything else remains the same. And that's where you want your setting to be. And so, yeah, if you're doing some boating and you wanted to do videography, that would be really handy, especially if you wanted to take some uh, images of people in the water. You know, you had objects that you wanted and you wanted them to stand out and not just be this big glary mess. Right. Uh, And you wanted to actually maybe see the surface of the water other than just reflections. So that would be a really good um, use of it. If you were shooting through glass um, to, and and like, for example, say you say we're shooting a shot where you had mounted a camera to a windshield or, mm-hmm. or actually outside, maybe on the hood and then through the windshield, you're, you're filming the subject, like somebody driving. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a really good use of a polarizer. I've used, I've used that in a lot of situations where I uh, had a hood mounted camera and I was aiming into the, I was aiming to the driver through the right. actual windshield. And, and so you wouldn't, so you wouldn't get any of that like overhead reflection of like traffic lights or planes or buildings or whatever. Yeah. Or the sky, which can just right. completely wash them out. Yeah. It would, you just, you have to tune it so that it's at the right angle. Sure. But there's a certain point as you turn the, the filter where it actually will block out a lot of the stray reflections. That would be a really great use. So it's a good thing to have. Actually, I don't tend to bring them around and, and have them on all the time though. Um, and there's some reasons for that. I just don't like necessarily to have filters on my on my camera unless I have to. Uh, so, am I to assume that you do not use ND filters uh, regularly? Well, if I have to use an ND filter because I don't have an internal ND filter on my camcorder, then I will. If I don't have to put something in front of my lens, then I would prefer not to. Mm-hmm. And there and there's mm-hmm. some reasons for that. You may have noticed this, but Anytime you put anything in front of your lens, you're just degrading the quality. Yes. And and also, I do a lot of shooting of backlit subjects. A lot of a lot of shooting where the sun is behind the person. Right. Uh, and that kind of means that I'm actually facing into the sun. Right. Which is w- w- which usually would give a silhouette kind of look to video. It could give you a silhouette, or if you expose it properly, it could just add a nice rim rim light to the person, which is why I yes. use it. And it's a okay. really nice look. And I actually prefer to do to shoot that way than any other way because it's a way of getting a nice um, image of the of the subject, but um, also to give them a rim light so they stand out against the background a bit. Mm, and, interesting. Yeah, and also it's a lot less flat looking than uh, other daytime shots. Daytime is I, hard, very I difficult. Will- I will try that at my next shoot because I actually like it the other way, but that's just because I, I, I haven't experienced it or tried to expose it correctly in that way where I like people facing into the sun because you're so well lit in that part. And then I'll take away some of that over brightness with the ND filter yeah. and then, and then, you know, get a look like that. Yeah. Well, it's possible to do that, but usually, and especially in outdoor light, you need some kind of fill. 
because the the really harsh bright light of the sun is just overpowers the shadows yeah and so you'll have a really contrasty uh person their face yes. half of it will be really well lit and the other half will be in shadow we- well not when i uh uh shine the 10,000 <laughs> watt candlelight police beam at their face oh, well, then, and then in their that, eyeballs. Then that's perfect. And then you hit him right. hit him in the shins with your Mr. <laughs> Lee stabilizer. With my Mr. Lee stabilizer, correct. I love shooting with backlight, and I, I think that that's... I'm going to try that. Yeah. I'm going to try that and see what that's like, because yeah, that sounds kind of neat. Lighting is, is tricky, and lighting, lighting angles is really tricky, and the worst lighting is usually uh, noontime because the sun's overhead and it's just shining right down, and everybody has shadows... Uh, under their eyebrows, you know, their eyes are in shadow. Yeah. So it for me, it's a way to counteract that. Or I'll just shoot people in shade, you know, and that's another way to counteract. The sun is really tough. The sun is right. tough to get good good shots with. Right, right. And right. Um, it's possible. It's possible, and especially if you have a camcorder that has a really good latitude. You can have shadows and then bring them out in post. So there'll still be a little bit of detail in the shadowed portions of people's faces. But uh, it's tough. Usually you need some type of fill or bounce to get get that illuminated and that just extra equipment and more, more trouble so if i can help it i don't put stuff in front of my lens and i know that a lot of people put like protective uv filters on their lenses because they don't want to mess up the glass on their lenses <laughs> right right and i think if you were in a dangerous situation like uh you know like think rocks were flying or you were in a sandblasting plant or something right but if you're not in a situation like that then adding extra stuff uh, to the front of your lens is is just going to degrade the image, especially if you're going to be shooting with the light sources hitting your hitting your lens. Right. right so right. just keep it clean. It's really important. To, That's good. Yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah. Well, well, let's review. Let's review. If you had to, it sounds to me that uh, you got a couple uh, in your pocket if you really need to, and that's a polarizer and an ND filter. Right. An ND filter. ND filter is actually pretty important if you don't have built-in ND filters on your camcorder. Which I don't, so that's why I like my ND filter so much. Right. And then and then the variable ND, which you and I use, I, I use it because I use uh, digital SLRs that don't have ND filters, and so, mm-hmm. so do you. Right. Uh, so there's some pretty good ones out there. They can severely degrade the image, though, unless you get a good quality one. So that's yes. that's another thing to look out for. Yeah, I, I kind of noticed that because mine is on the more inexpensive side that if I do like max to the max setting, it can really mess up my 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 colors kind of yeah. a lot. And and not only that, it can actually make it blurrier. Yeah. Especially if you're using a telephoto lens on it. The the quality of the variable ND can make a big difference. And the reason for that, it's essentially like two grids that are interacting with each other. And if the grids aren't fine enough, it essentially makes it more blurry, just reduces the resolution. So usually use the ND um, mostly on wide shots if you can. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, the, Good. The fixed NDs, though, the ones that you just have one power for each, those are actually pretty high quality. You can use telephotos on those. Probably no You problem. know what? I like the variable NDs. They're, I like them just because they're just so versatile. They're really versatile. They're really easy to use. And the thing that's really cool about it is that essentially you can change the light coming into your lens without having to change the aperture. Right. And that's what I do. Uh, like what I did on that shoot that you and I were both on, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I did. You know, I, I would keep my uh, aperture pretty low and then I would just, you know, compensate by, you know, adjusting the ND filter. Right. 
and it's and it's also smooth, so you can make very slight graduations without it clicking right. to the next f stop. Correct, exactly. And that part that's exactly correct. And that that's what I really like, and that's actually an advantage over anything else. That smoothness, more more so than an aperture adjustment or a click in internal ND, which is usually just one click or another click, and it's right. Like they they have stops on them and stuff like right, that. right. It's like one fourth or one sixty fourth or whatever. Right. So a little harder to gauge, I would imagine. Harder to gauge, and, and it clicks in. So you can't do it in the middle of a shot. Right. Whereas with a variable ND, you can actually smoothly, gradually change it if Correct. you're a little over or underexposed. Right. So um, exactly. it's good stuff. Good, good. Well, uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, that is our coma segment on filters. We will... Uh, present another mind-numbing subject in our next podcast but uh thank you very much keith for that thanks for the advice we really appreciate it and uh we will see you uh right back right after this you're listening to tech move Keith, we've come to the uh, final part of uh, another terrific episode, if I may say so myself, <laughs> of Tech Move. Uh, just a brilliant episode. Uh, but before we say our goodbyes, uh, we've got a couple little things that we want to touch on. Uh, so this will be easily another half an hour here. So uh, <laughs> don't go anywhere, our fine friends. Uh, listening outside. Uh, hey, Keith, we actually got a letter uh, from a, a listener, from one of our dedicated listeners, mm -hmm. and uh, they have a question for us uh, with regards to audio. So uh, may I read it to you? Yes. Okay. So this comes from Darlene, and Darlene says, Hi, Keith and Rod. I was in England in April and had a chance to record an amateur choir performing in a small village. Uh, the place was at a 16th century church with granite walls. Acoustics were fantastic. But her Olympus LS11 recorder was not. Mm -hmm. uh, she heard good things about the Zoom H5 and picked one up. Mm -hmm. uh, she also did a home test by using a CD of a choir singing and played it uh, in back, I guess she played it in back on a pair of Apogee Sarantis electrostatic ribbon speakers. Mm, those are good. I think those are good. <laughs> uh, and then uh, she was listening to them on Audio-Technica ATH-M50 headphones, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but she says that the mics from the Zoom H5 still made the recordings a bit muffled. Mm. So she's looking to buy some other external mics. Yeah. And, you know, of course, she's on a limited budget, like the great Rod Louie is always on a very limited budget. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so she she's looking at some stuff. She found some Swedish live audio hand-built mics that are well within her range. She's trying to decide between these things called the OM1s versus the, what is that, CM3s? I think my vision is bad, but mm -hmm. I think it's CM3s. 
Anyway, so she's going to be heading back to, to England pretty soon, probably within the next year, and she wants to do more recordings. So she wants to find the right thing before she goes back. Keith, with all that information, your thoughts, please. <laughs> A lot to absorb, Darlene. You really you write a uh, a question beyond belief. It's fantastic. Well, this is starting to get into the audiophile uh, recording area. Yes, and I mean, it sounds like Darlene may be an audiophile. I'm not. I'm not really sure. You know what what level she is. Um, you know, it sounds like the 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 speakers she have are has are very expensive, <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think they're probably very nice. Yeah, I they're probably they're really nice. nice. Yeah. Um. Probably floor standing, yeah. You know, I mean, I, type of things. I, I, I mean, I don't think she's making. I think she's just doing this for herself. I don't think she's right. making a recording. I think like, a hobbyist, a hobbyist like a, like, uh, like me. Yeah, like a hobbyist, and and I don't think she intends to produce a CD quality thing out of it. Honestly, the Zoom that would be called bootlegging. I think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they used to do that, right? Exactly. Um, of course, I think they do that now, but you could just get it all free on YouTube. Yeah, and, and 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 the way we used to do it was like take our dictation machines <laughs> yes. with micro cassettes, right? right? That 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 was the big recording device back then, right? Um, so the Zoom first first of all, the Zoom H five I believe has a stereo pair of mics in it. It's, yeah, I think it's a XY uh, configuration. Are are they not? Yeah, so it's actually made to produce a pretty good quality stereo image. I'm not sure why she thought it sounded muffled. And it may be that she just needs to place the mics. She should be monitoring this thing with her headphones as she's as she's recording it and turning it up really loud. And then adjust the configuration of her zoom, you know, basically where it's pointing, the direction it's pointing, um and listen through her headphones as she's monitoring to see how it actually sounds. Um and then play it back right on the spot. Um I think you know, to verify that what she's hearing, monitoring it live, is actually what's being recorded. I just have a feeling it might just be an EQ issue. Like she just needs to EQ the the signal after she's recorded it a little bit to get the the muffled sound to go away. You know, yeah. Um, EQ is, you know, post recording EQ is very very common. It's like you just you usually don't record something and not EQ it afterwards, which means you know bringing up the highs or reducing the highs, bringing up the lows evening out little bumps that might be resonant things that are happening in the room that you're recording in you know every room every environment has some resonances it just there's sympathetic vibrations that the room is more tending to vibrate at and that makes certain frequencies uh louder than others you know boominess or muffledness or whatever problem and you eq those things out and get it to sound better to your ears so personally i don't I don't think she really needs to get another set of high-end mics unless she wants to. <laughs> because that's- Yeah, I, I, I actually think that the Zoom uh, H5s are, are really great. I mean, it's very similar to that Tascam iPhone add-on that I had bought a while ago for like 20 bucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, pretty much, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. And, and you know, those things, those things are, are, are great. I mean, uh, Keith, weren't a lot of videographers using the Zoom H5s as uh, external... Uh, recorders for for sound, put um, them on a boom and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, the thing is, that's if you want environmental sounds. A lot of times, when you're a videographer, you're really trying to get an actual, very clean sound of somebody talking. Mm-hmm. In which case, the zoom mic probably wouldn't work that well. 
you know, because it's it's not it's somewhat directional, but it's not like a shotgun mic that really really magnifies sound from a very spot a, a spot point in front of it. So I think they were using them mostly as for the DSLRs and then attaching another mic because it has XLR inputs. Yes, and attaching a a good quality shotgun mic to that, and then using that as the good quality recorder instead of the internal recording on the DSLR. I think that's mostly what videographers would use it for, besides having a nice recorder with some mics on it for various things, you know, environmental sounds. Right. Um, so, I, but as far as just having a nice stereo recorder, I think it's, I think it should be good enough for Darlene. Unless she just I, has gold ears. I think or so something. too. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, I always had great, uh, um, because I do equate this with my little Tascam, uh, um, mic that I put on my iPhone, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think they're all in the same family, and I use that to record, um, when I'm playing in my when I'm playing guitar in my church band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually use that to record rehearsals, so I can go back and and and, and they, they sound, it, you know, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. You know, it sounds pretty present. Sounds pretty good. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Darlene maybe send me what she recorded, and I'm going to actually hear what it sounds like, because I don't know what she means by muffled. Right. And and I think it needs a little bit of more interaction between us and her. Correct. And then we'll be able to diagnose her issue and get her to have a good recording when she goes back to England next year. And we'll only charge her $150 for consultation fees. So Yeah, per half hour. Per half hour. Plus expenses. The, the the one thing she says in her email, and I'm not incredibly clear. I'll I'll, I'll read it exactly as she read it, uh, wrote uh, wrote it, and that is: did a home test using a top quality CD of a choir singing a 16th century chant, and played it, and played in back on a pair of apogee. Oh, yeah, I, was, I think she meant played it back. Yeah, I think that's just a type. Played it back. Yeah, yeah. I don't think okay. she recorded it from behind the speakers though. Yeah. Work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, that would have been kind of that would have been really bad. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would think is you know what, what, you know if you're getting muffled sound, that's usually the thing, right? Is that you're not getting uh, right at the direction of where the speaker is or where your uh, performers are or something yeah. like that. And and honestly, recordings of even of good speakers are not going to sound as good as the original. That's Correct. just not going to happen. There's right. a lot of issues. Your ears are way better. Than microphones at, at detecting all the nuances in the sound, sure, and and three D sound quality and and stuff. That's that's really really hard to achieve. But I've I've actually recorded videos of actual live choirs and 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 in auditoriums, and I actually had multiple mics going on. Like I had little these little uh, dictation recorders of the really high quality sixteen bit PCM all over the place, uh, you know, under the instruments, next to the instruments, and then I and then later I had all these different tracks to choose from. And then mix them. And if I wanted to emphasize a certain, like if I was zoomed in on a person or that person was featured in, in one of the angles, I would use that particular uh, recording. So you don't have to get a good recording, you don't have to just use a stereo right. pair. You can use a lot of different mics and mix sure. them together. Sure. You know, I, it just I would even suggest to uh, Darlene that, uh, hey, before next year, just go to a bunch of churches or street performers or something like that sit that thing right there in front of them. Of course, ask permission first and record and see what you get. Yeah. And then af- afterwards, find some type of application to equalize it. Right. When she's done with it, there's lots of stuff, lots of uh, computer uh, applications out there that can, 
get stuff to sound a lot better than the original recording. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, hey, Darlene, thank you very much for your uh, for your little email there that you sent to us, and uh, we'll try and get in contact with you and maybe help you out a little bit more with that. Uh, Keith, I w- also wanted to share with you that uh, I'm going to be uh, headed out of town uh, very shortly, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be taking some gear with me uh, to you know do a little photography, maybe a little video stuff. Uh, but I'm also very, very excited about taking my new iPhone 6 Plus. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Yeah, oh, and I'm very excited. You actually got it. I did. I actually purchased one. Uh, uh, and awesome. And I'm very excited to to try out, of course, video and, uh, you know, and some still photography using that thing and see what happens. Uh-huh. No, that'll be fun. It'll be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, also, I understand before we go here that uh, you've got your hands on a bunch of new Sony A7S stuff. Uh, what, accessories, something like that? What, mm-hmm. what have you well, got? Well, as you know, I got an A7S about a year ago, uh, around the time that they first came out. Right. And I love it. Um, I don't use it all the time for video recording. Um, but it's a nice thing to have. And the, the reason it's a nice thing to have is it's just really excellent in low light. It's it's actually almost like night vision. That's that's um, the thing that that's the big deal with the A7S. Yeah, that's the big deal. In fact, just recently I actually got hired for a gig because I had an A7S and I could record in the dark. Oh nice. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't because of my qualities as a camera person or my personality. It was just this A7S. No, no, so. no, because you're the only one in town that 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 has one. <laughs> I probably am not the only one in town, but um, I may be the only pers- person this other person knows that needed it. And I actually recorded an audience in the dark. Basically, it was it was a it was a poetry like special event at this in this theater, and the audience was literally in the dark. They were not lit; just people on the stage were lit. But my assignment was not to record the people on the stage; it was to record the audience. So you were just capturing reactions and stuff based yes. off of ref- reflective lighting from the stage. Just pretty much, yeah. Just ambient light and things that I could not see with my own eyes, I was able to see with the A7S. <laughs> and, and, and admittedly... Did you catch you- Osama Bin Laden? I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if, you, if you did because, oh, I'm sorry, he's, he's dead already. Okay, forget it. Um, I did capture a lot of people that did not know that they were being recorded. Uh, were they sleeping? So I, got a, I got a lot of sleeping. I got a lot of, got a lot of nose picking. But <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> but apparently, I did get enough. Good, you got my good side then. <laughs> I did get enough for the director to um, put together a pretty good sequence. And I joke with him that he he edited out all the nose picking shots. But uh, that's fantastic. But it, yeah, when you do record, and we're talking about ISO like one hundred thousand. This is crazy that I was recording at. Yeah. Um, is is, is not, that the highest ISO you've ever recorded at for something yeah. professional? Oh yeah, by far. Really? By far? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just I'm just talking about the qualities of the i7s. So they're, th- that's a good quality, but just for normal video, it actually is a very nice image as well. Um, it's it's still an 8-bit um, recording, and it's only HD internal recording. Although you can send out 4K out of the HDMI output. Um, I I don't really use it for that very much. Uh, I mostly just use it for mounting on uh, sli- motorized sliders and things where it requires a very high-quality HD signal, but still a full-frame sensor, so I can get shallow depth of field and a 
pretty good image quality. Um, like I used it the other day for, I had three cameras going. I had one kind of medium close up with my C100. Uh, and then I had this A7S on a slider. Uh, it's actually the second shooter, motorized, going back and forth. Right. And centering on the person's face. A pretty close, pretty close close up on the person's face. Pretty much just their face. Um, going back and forth the whole time. And it was great because it's small and light and not too obtrusive. Um, the only thing is that the battery life on it is pretty bad, when it, especially when it's recording and actually on. The batteries are really small. <laughs> I like that. When it's recording and when it's on. When you're actually well, using it, yeah, that, it's bad. Well, those are a couple little drawbacks there. I guess you should just yeah. leave it off all the time. Then your, uh, your battery life will last a lot longer. Yes, they're excellent when the when they're off. When the camera's they're off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I did actually get was I got an AC adapter for it, uh, which I'll talk about next time. But I, I got a um, a mic a Mikey um, battery grip, which actually holds two batteries, and it's like the typical ones used for all kinds of DSLRs. It it replaces the there's a little leg that goes into the um, A7S into the, where the battery slot is, and it kind of replaces the battery. Right. And then there's a whole grip thing on the bottom that holds two a7s style batteries what do you do with the door to the, the, to door, the department? <laughs> good question thank you actually <laughs> just toss it right no, break uh, <laughs> it off just break it off so it's not there anymore no um these dslrs and mirrorless cameras are built to have these grips put on so the door itself has a little kind of spring-loaded latch on the act on the on the hinge so you can actually remove the door very easily by just pressing on a little latch. Oh, okay. And the whole the whole door comes off. And then these these battery grips always have a little storage area for the door. Ah. In, inside somewhere um, where it won't get lost. How and, convenient. Yeah. And then when you ever take the grip off, you just put the door back on. It's a, you know, 10-second process. Um, anyway, so now I'm sh- pretty much shooting all the time with this Mickey. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but it's M-E-I-K-E. And I, I think I got it on Amazon. Let me just check. Check my Amazon purchase history. Does Sony uh, make their own battery grips? They have to, and it's got to be for yes. like five hundred dollars more than than what you paid for the Mickey. Yes, I pr- I pretty much never ever buy the the original manufacturer's battery grips. They're just a rip off. Right. I don't personally see. I mean, I've tried them. I personally see no difference between them. Right. The quality of these third party ones. It, I mean, some of them are probably pretty bad, but the the Mickeys are pretty good. Right. So this is the Miki M E I K E, and the model is the M K A R seven, built in two point four G wireless control battery grip for A seven, A seven R and A seven S. So I guess you can, I guess this has a, a wireless thing on it too. Honestly, I'm not really even sure how that works. Maybe it came with some. Why would you need wireless? Uh, if you want to do remote control, like if it's up on a tripod or far away or if you just don't want to touch it oh you can, oh because you, the battery grip would would control it, it aren't aren't those remote control sensors within the camera itself and not the battery grip yeah honestly i don't really know i how mean the, like what are you remote controlling uh you know oh uh let's charge up the battery remotely <laughs> I, I don't understand don't that it's kind of kind of dopey yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe it's a special thing. You know why? That, That's why you're not investigating it because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> For me, I don't need right, it. Right, you but don't need I, it. Yeah, you don't need it. But I'm <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it's it works really How well. How much did it obviously. cost? Uh, let me see. It cost me. 
$89. Oh, uh, that sounds like a much better price than what Sony's <laughs> probably going to stick you for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Sony's is at least a couple hundred. Yeah. Yeah. At least. So, okay, so that's one of the, the A7S, and this works on all the A7 cameras. Nice. All the A7 cameras have the same form factor. So this one happens to be the A7S. That's what I use for video. Um, so let me see. What else have I gotten to supplement my A7S? I've gotten a ton of EF to E mount adapters. Ah. Yeah. Um, so the traditional uh, uh, one where you can electronically clothe, uh, control the lens uh, is called the Metabones. Which I love. I love Metabones. Yeah. They're just so darn expensive. They're, well, they're, they're, they were like the first. Right. Um, and and uh, the original ones were pretty simple. They just had electronics and just converted from one mount to the other mount. And then theoretically you can control all your functions on the on the lens from inside the camera because most of the stuff is now electronically controlled right they're not really meant to be manually moved around like the aperture or, or focusing right but uh so for the most part the metabones works pretty well i have two different versions of the metabones i have the the regular metabones and then i have the speed booster metabones i love speed booster and those are the ones <laughs> that are very expensive the 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 regular adapters are are pretty fairly priced uh, if, yeah. if you just want to get a lens on the camera, but if you want that full functionality and then the ability to what step down and and all this kind of stuff, you need the the speed booster. Well, actually, I'll tell you that the on on the A7S, since it's a full frame camera, the speed booster is not really that necessary. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the speed booster is meant to go from a a full frame lens to a a uh, smaller sized sensor. Uh, for example, in the case of uh, the Sony stuff, the earlier Sony stuff used to be super 35 millimeter sized, mm. which is a bit smaller than full frame. Right. So the, the speed booster lens essentially, uh, would convert the image of the full frame down to the size of the super 35. And in doing so, it would give you the, the wideness and the shallow depth of field of the original lens and also increase the light gathering capabilities, which is great. Which was great. A lot of people used it. Um, there's a couple different versions of the Speed Booster now. The one that I got, which was a while back, uh, was the original Speed Booster. And then there's a Speed Booster, I think it's Ultra or something. It's a new version of the Speed Booster that apparently uses really good glass in the lens part of it to make a really super, super sharp image. Because there is a little bit of image degradation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's not really that noticeable in HD. Mm. Um, but in uh, full 4K, you might notice it. Hmm. It just degrades the quality, makes it a little bit blurrier, um, not too noticeable. Um, so that's that's kind of the, those are the standard ones. Actually, the one that I prefer, especially on the A7S nowadays, is the Comlight. Comlight. Um, it's yeah, it's like it's actually, in my opinion, way better than the Metabones. Really. And it's actually way cheaper. And I actually got, I think I got one on Amazon for. I'm just gonna look up my order. I got one on Amazon for about. 100 bucks. Hmm. I'm going on the comlight.com um site right now and it's uh taking a little bit of time to load. But uh just on an off thing, do they have any uh adapters for micro four thirds? Uh let me see. I don't think they do at this point. How dare they? Sorry about that. Oh, disgusting. Yeah, I don't see any initially, but they do have a ton of them for the NEX. And the reason that I like the comlight is that it's a full frame adapter, which means I can put full frame lenses, EF lenses on the front, and then 
use the full frame of the Sony A7S, which is a full frame camera. And it controls the electronics really, really, really well. Like, like it actually controls the electronics on the lens better, way better than the Metabones, which is strange. Really? Since it's only, yeah, it's only an 85 or $90 thing. Yeah. Whereas the Metabones are three to $700. Right. It actually, the electronics, I don't know how they did it, but they work better, I think. Because I did a whole bunch of tests between the Metabones and the Comlite when I was, when I, when I got my A7S and my um, FS700. And I found that the Comlite was more reliable at like turning on the IS and, and uh, doing the auto focusing and other things than the Metabones. Metabones was kind of flaky. So I would highly recommend the Comlite. Wow, that sounds that sounds really really good. I wish they did for Micro Four Thirds though. They, yeah, they, you're you're right. They have some. It, it just seems that they're really going for the whole Sony market there. Yeah, uh, maybe at this time. Maybe at this time. Maybe they'll they'll develop uh, Micro Four Thirds. Usually, folks. So do. here's the thing: since the Micro Four Thirds is such a smaller sensor than the EF, um, you may not get the the superlative image quality. And the reason is that you're actually using a much smaller area on the lens, uh, and it's cropping onto the micro four thirds. Like you might be only using the center, like fifty percent of the lens. Right. It's about half the size of a full frame. So, so the resolving power of those lenses. Those lenses are designed to use the whole lens. So when you think about it, if you're looking at a piece of glass and then you magnify down to like a half of it, mm. you're you're also magnifying all the imperfections in the glass. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah, it might not matter if you're going just from full frame to super 35, but when you get that low to micro four thirds, you start really magnifying the impurities of the glass, mm, okay. the defects in the lens. So in a way, I think it's probably better to get a speed booster for the in GH4. That way. Uh-huh. Yeah, because then you're just squeezing down the whole or, or most of the full lens down to the small micro four thirds sensor. And you're also shrinking all the impurities or the defects in the lens. Yeah, so I think maybe that's why. I mean, there, you can still get tons of, of E-mount to, to Micro Four Thirds mounts that are just dumb. Right. You can also get Metabones ones that are dumb, uh, and also Metabones that don't have the speed booster in it. But I actually have the speed booster for the, for the GH4, and it works great. And that works great. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to do a full review of that on a future episode because that, yep. that interests me quite a bit. So. Yep. Uh, what other cool things you got for the uh, E7S? Um, I actually have this pretty cool thing. It's kind of an interesting, intriguing device. So here's the thing about the A7S is that it's almost too sensitive. <laughs> um, if you'd use log format on the uh, A7S, you actually have to go to ISO 3200, which means you can't really shoot movies outside without neutral density on it. Right. Because it's just too bright. So And it doesn't have an internal ND wheel like a lot of cam- real camcorders do. Okay. And pretty much any DSLR or mirrorless camera does not have an ND, internal ND. You have to add external ND, which is a pain. Right. But there's this thing called the uh, Photodiax Virilex. Um, it's called ND Throttle. And it's, a, it's an adapter, just purely mechanical, no electronics, so you have to use manual lenses on it, But um, which have full aperture and focusing on, on them. But here's the thing. It's got a variable ND inside the adapter. Oh, inside the adapter? Yeah, inside the adapter. So if you look at the adapter and you turn this ring, there's a blue ring on the Virilex. Yep, I see it. It will actually make it lighter and darker, just like a variable oh. ND. Yeah. Well, look at that. It actually works okay. I mean, there's a little tiny bit of image degradation, but not not a lot, not too bad. And um, 
it makes it very, very convenient if you want it shallowed up the field and normal uh, video shutter speeds and do it outside or you know, with a lot of light. So it's a, it's a cool little device. I'm looking at it right now. hundred bucks. Yeah. hundred bucks. Not, yeah. And, not uh, and they have one for micro four thirds. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty nice. Hey, so, pretty yeah. So let's see. I have one more thing to do. I'm not sure if we have time to do it or not. You tell me. Um, it's, I'm going to install the Cine Easy Touch. Sure. Okay, so I've, I've kind of complained about the A7S, lots of different things about it. The, the thing that I think is the stupidest thing is that the, rec the video record button. <laughs> right, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yes. It's basically this, this button that you have to kind of use your fingernail to press. It's like one of those reset buttons on computers and devices that you aren't meant to press them. They make them really hard to press. You have to use like a pen to press them. Uh, you know, the they're, <laughs> they're actually inset type of things, right? Yeah. Right. This record button on the on the A7S is almost like that. <laughs> um, for some reason, you can't assign the video record to any other button, and I just think that's pretty lame. But but you have a D but you have a DIY for us, right? A last minute DIY. Yeah, last minute. Well, what I did was originally is I just put a little sticky double-sided tape on the button so it stuck out a little bit. But I am actually I actually bought this thing. It was actually somebody's invention and they sold it on eBay. It's called the Cine Easy Touch. And let's see if we can look that up. Cine Easy Touch. Cine Easy Touch. And I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks, which is kind of expensive for yeah, cineeasytouch.com. It's basically just a piece of plastic with a little texture on it and a couple screws. <laughs> and I was actually going to try to touch. I think. Oh, oh, Sin oh, yeah! Look at that. <laughs> it looks like Play-Doh with something pointy at the in the middle of it. I think they make it out of hardened Play-Doh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's got a little. I'm, I'm actually. I haven't installed it yet, but I was going to install it on on air on right the, now? on the air on the air. That would be exciting for our listeners. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, so gonna, while you go ahead so and do oh, that, let me let me uh, share with the uh, with with our listeners out there. Uh, the website is sineasytouch.com, and you spell that C I N E A S Y T O U C H dot com. So sin and then the full word easytouch dot com, and uh. Keith, is this the A6000 video button enhancement you're telling us about right it's now? It's the Model A7S video button. A7S, button let's see. Yeah, right. that's the one I have. A7S yeah. thing. Here, let's see. A Ah, okay, I got that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, cuz they have a they they have a bunch. They have a lot of uh Well, the, I guess the Sony all their cameras have this very problem because they have they have one of these uh, easy touches for every single camera that Sony has right now. It seems like it's it's really odd that yeah. I find, especially the A7S because it was made for video, right? That they, um, they make it impossible for you to record anything. It make it very difficult. Like if you want to record, <laughs> you're gonna have a lot of issues. <laughs> So okay, you better so you just, better bring your uh, Tom Mix pocket knife uh, uh, in order to get this thing to record. <laughs> Without this thing, right? So basically, you move this neck strap eyelet on the right side. Okay, so there's a little triangular piece of metal. Yes, on the right side. Right where you where, where you where you thread the strap. Uh, right uh, for 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 the yep. neck strap. Yep. So you just remove the eyelet, which I just did. It looked impossible, but I did it pretty easily. 
because it's like, oh, good. I'm going to have to do more. Did you break the body when you pried it off with a pair I, of needle nose pliers? I did not. I actually just pried it off with my fingers. Good. Oh, <laughs> even better. So now I am actually going to try to screw this in. Uh, these teeny little screws using a, uh, just one screw that goes through the eyelid into this plastic uh, plastic uh, thing that is this an easy touch so I'm just trying to find the appropriate screwdriver okay I'm gonna put the screw in through the eyelet I'm hoping that I'm reading the instructions properly or maybe I'm gonna break my camera so I'm screwing <laughs> it in into the and hopefully I won't break the plastic on this an easy touch Okay, so I'm screw it's actually going in pretty easily. The screw is going in. By the way, I peeled off my DIY double stick tape. Oh. Well. So I I pretty much committed to this any easy touch. Right. I'm screwing it in, almost there, about a millimeter left on the screw. Screwing the screw in through the front of the eyelet. This is very exciting right now. I'm tightening it up. It's in place. I've switched my A7S on, which currently has the Verilix N D on there. I am pressing the movie button on the Cine Easy Touch, and it says no memory card cannot record movie. Oh, but at least you got. <laughs> but, 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 but that's okay because at least you press the right button for it to register that. That's true, but I want to do a full test, so I'm going to put a card in, and I'm going to record. I'm surprised you actually have battery power right now. Well, I have the Mikey. Yeah, the Mikey, <laughs> which will... Uh, have you done a test on how long the, the Mikey is supposed to last? Um, I should last double of whatever the crap... Which is what, then 20 minutes now or something like that, or what? A few minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think just formatting this this uh, SD card used up all the batteries. Okay, so I, I formatted the card, and I'm going to press record in my Cine Easy Touch, and It works! Fantastic. It's amazing. And, and, and was it easy to press the button? Was it very it easy? It was so easy. It's just sticking out. Like, it's just there. It's this little extra thing that's sticking out and is there. Now, unfortunately, you won't be able to hang the camera around your neck like other tourists would. So uh, that <laughs> I, is a is I never a have straps on my camera. That's, cause that's too I bad. I use these for cinema. Right. So. That's, that's too bad. I, I, use, <laughs> I, use, I use mine with a strap, and I love it. Don't I, judge I could me. Still, I'm not judging. Yeah, I could still use a strap on my left, the left eyelid, <laughs> just not the right eyelid. Right, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Have all the weight just on that one eyelid. That would mm -hmm. be terrific. Well, I just installed it on the air. Congratulations, ladies and gentlemen! Yeah. You've heard it here first on Tech Move. <laughs> That we now have a fantastic video button enhancement uh, from uh, from uh, uh, SinEasyTouch.com, and it's called the uh, SinEasyTouch. Uh, fantastic. Uh, 20 bucks, I believe. Yeah. 20 it bucks. It seems expensive for a piece of plastic, but very useful. Oh, well, you know what? Frankly, I think it's probably worth it for all the <laughs> aggravation that you had prior to that. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Well... I think that's just fantastic. Keith, uh, <laughs> we better uh, stop this recording now before uh, more excitement ensues and we got nothing for the next episode. What do you think? I think it's time to end the episode. Fantastic. Well, uh, uh, Keith, I want to thank you so much for that live on-air uh, demonstration. Uh, I need to go change my undershirt because of the uh, excitement. <laughs> 
And uh, I want to thank you so much for providing all this great content. Uh, Keith Moreau, thank you so much. I have been the one and only Rod Louie, and I want to thank you all for listening to us and uh, spending a little bit of time out of your day to download and to listen. Keith, where can they find Tech Move Podcast? Where do they find that thing? TechMovePodcast.com or iTunes. Search for Tech Move. You'll find it. And if you don't mind helping us out a little bit, go to TechMovePodcast.com slash Amazon and buy whatever you want. I think it's vice versa, isn't it? Amazon.com slash TechMovePodcast? No, it's it's TechMovePodcast.com. Are you sure about that? <laughs> yes. Okay, wait. I, I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> if, you go, if you go to Amazon.com slash TechMovePodcast, you'll probably get some kind of blender. <laughs> 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 and we won't get any credit Hang for on. it. <laughs> I see. Is that is that true? Oh, that's absolutely true. <laughs> okay, so forget it. I, I, I don't know anything. So it's <laughs> techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon is where you can help contribute and uh, help us pay for a little bit of this electricity that we're using to make these fantastic episodes. All right, terrific. Well, uh, hey, we've got a lot more stuff coming up, but we're going to save it for the next episode. Not that we're saving the best for last, but yeah, we kind of are. Anyway, uh, again, Keith Moreau, thank you so much. I have been Rod Louie, and thank you again, everyone, for listening to Tech Move. See you later. 